willing to do the same. Jesus, we know that. We can't do that. Um, save from your spirit. So, um, spirit, come, teach, reprove, correct, admonish. Um, do what only you can do in our hearts tonight, Lord. Now, lift up terror to you, Lord God. May she um, speak the words of life uh, today, uh, Lord. They may be hard, they may be hard to hear, um, Lord God, but um, we know that you are speaking through her tonight um, for our good, uh, Lord God, because you love us. And all we get from you is grace. Lord, if we were in you, um, all we get, the hard stuff, the, the tough stuff, and the great stuff, it's all grace um, from you, Jesus. So we lift her up to you tonight, Lord God. Speak to us through her tonight. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. 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 But the one who endures till the end will be saved. It's Matthew 24, 13. It's our theme for this week. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. We all love an underdog story, don't we? The grit, the grind, the fierce determination. I love it when a movie is based on a true story and it's an underdog story. Nothing lights me up more. And at some point in our lives, that underdog story becomes the recurring theme in the undertone of our life. And we see these things play out before us, and we say, man, if that guy can do it, I can do it. Nothing's going to stop me. I was thinking earlier today to when I was a kid, years ago. And I was the youngest of seven. I had a twin sister who was like a built-in best friend my entire life. And... um. And just to give you an idea of, of who I was as a kid, I, I basically was the same. I was just shorter and a little bit smaller, probably rocking a pair of sweatpants with a T-shirt that didn't match, and I had two pigtails, one on each side of my head. And my sister, my sister was the size of my left leg, man, and she was always climbing. We had this hideout in between these two giant pine trees, and, and she would climb all the way to the top, and I'd just kind of stay at the bottom. And she would go climb all these trees. We lived out in the country and there were trees everywhere. And so finally one day, I was like, man, I am tired of standing at the bottom of the tree and looking up and saying, hey, best friend. (laughs) So I was determined to climb the tree. So I went inside and I got a chair from the dining room table. That's right. Me and my sweatpants. And I set that chair. And man, I climbed that chair. And climbing that chair was like climbing Mount Everest. And then I tried to climb that tree, and well, I just never climbed that tree. And so I didn't really believe that I was invincible as a kid until I met Jesus. When I gave my life to him at eight years old, I said, Jesus, we're going to do this thing, man. We're going to change the world, you and I. I'm all yours, buddy. And I truly believe that Jesus was like an action figure and he moved into my heart and he had a suitcase and he had a recliner chair. I didn't know how he was going to fit it all in there, but, you know, he was God. He could do anything. And I was lit up. I didn't care that anyone made fun of me because I loved Jesus. And no one was going to take that from me. No one. I started off 
strong. Don't we all start off strong? There's something about when you run a race, this, there's this idea of like pacing yourself, which I don't really, I'm not really a runner. Shocking, I know. But there's something about the long haul, and if you're going to run two or three or four miles, you don't start off sprinting. You pace yourself. And I think that sometimes that's how you and I are in our walk with Jesus. We're trying to pace ourselves. As if we're going to run out of stamina. And the younger you are, you you start off strong and you're invincible and you love Jesus. But there's something that happens as you get older. And life begins to throw you some curveballs and some prayers don't get answered the way you thought they should get answered. And you have one of two responses. Either you will trust God or you won't. Period. But let me tell you what happens when you don't trust God in the midst of adversity and suffering. You grow jaded, you grow cynical, you grow hard-hearted, and you lose your cutting edge. You lose your cutting edge. We're going to look tonight at a guy in the Bible by the name of Job, spelled just like Job. And we're asking this question, what does it look like to endure in the midst of suffering? Is it possible? Or is that some far-reaching, unattainable thing of God that he's just ridiculous in asking us that? Is it possible to endure as a follower of Jesus in the midst of heartache? Maybe the question isn't, is it possible? Maybe the question we need to ask tonight is, is it worth it? Ranger Sam this morning talked about high risk and low reward. And uh, low risk and high reward. Well, do you know what it means to follow Jesus? It's high risk and it's high reward. High risk. High reward. He says somewhere between Genesis and Revelation, man, I'm really missing Google right now. He says, don't be surprised when you have bad days. It's going to happen. So the question tonight isn't, is it possible to endure suffering and to follow God and to trust God in the midst of it? The question we've got to ask tonight is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? <laughs> We're going to start in chapter 1 of Job. It says this. There was a man in the land of Uz. Or Uz, I don't know. Uz. I think Uz sounds cooler, but whatever. <laughs> there is a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless. And upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. 
His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God, And turns away from evil. That's incredible. God literally asking Satan, hey, check out my boy Job. He's killing it. I mean, he is the mad daddy. He's slaying it, man. That's my boy. That's my boy. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him? In his house and all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands. And his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. That's the backdrop. And from these early verses, we learn that Job was a man of character. Job was a man of integrity. Job was a man of incredible wealth. And Job was unlike anyone else. And so Satan comes and he says, yeah, God, okay, okay. But he's living a pretty cush life. I mean, he's got everything he could ever want. He's blessed. His family's blessed. His animals are blessed. That's easy, God. That's easy. Why don't you make things a little difficult for Job? And then watch, because Job is going to curse you to your face. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) God says, okay, Job, mess with him. Or, okay, Satan, you can mess with Job. Just don't take his life. And here begins Job in his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. We're going to pick up in verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. This sheep is on fire. (laughs) That was pretty high. I was impressed. I haven't hit that for 20 years. Here we go. Keep focused, Tara. Keep focused. 
While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking. I'm feeling bad for Job. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people. And they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. His house is gone. His animals gone. Back in Bible times your animals were worth your wealth. Basically homeboy's bank account was just cleared out and is probably in the red. One servant can't even finish talking before another one shows up and says, Excuse me, sir, <laughs> but all your sheep are on fire. Can you imagine the weight of that news in one day? The animals, the house, crushing all of his children in one swipe. And it says that Job worshipped. <laughs> I think old Job probably fell when he was a baby and hit his head on some. Are you serious? Come on, Job. That's not what I would have done. Job worshipped. Everything is gone. Picking up in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Then his wife said to him, I'm sorry, let me back up. Job's health gets, gets attacked. He gets like these nasty boils all over, Okay. You think your bug bites at camp this week are difficult to deal with? You have no clue. No clue. Oozing, burning, giant sores, and there was not a Miss Chen to help you out and hook you up with some Neosporin. Okay? And and so now he's lost his family, he's lost his animals, he's lost his house, he's lost his children, and now he's got sores all over him. So this is what his wife said in verse 9 of chapter 2. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Yikes. Someone get that lady some chocolate. (laughs) Just saying. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Yikes. Job. Could have said it a little softer, man. <laughs> shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. 
the rest of the chapters of Job begin the journey of Job's mourning and his lamenting and he cries out and his friends curse him and his wife curses him and they say, Job, you're a blooming idiot, man. God doesn't love you. Just curse him and be dead. But in the midst of it all, I mean, Job is at rock bottom. Rock bottom. There is literally nothing else that could happen besides he lose his very life, which at this point, frankly, would probably be a benefit and a blessing to him. Because everything is gone. Everything. And as if losing everything wasn't enough, as if losing his family and his animals and his money and his children weren't enough, his own health. Now his wife has turned her back on him. And his friends have rejected him and turned their back on him. And so now, Job, in the midst of incredible sorrow and incredible heartache and an incredible loss, is left alone. What's Job's response? He started out strong, right? Chapter 1, Job worshipped. But as the story continues, Job continues to trust God. He puts his hope in God. He recognizes the wisdom and sovereignty of God. Yes, he still questions God. Listen, it's okay to question God. He's not going to fall off his throne because you are upset with him. The Bible says that he knows the thoughts in your head before you even speak them out. Job questions God. Job wrestles with God. Job says, God, what is it you're trying to teach me? I want to understand. But in the midst of it all, Job continues to trust God. And God responds. God responds to Job. But God not only responds to Job, but he responds to you and I. We're going to pick up in chapter 38. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to read the first 11 verses. This is God speaking. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkness counsel by words without knowledge? That darkens counsel, I'm sorry. Just for action like a man, I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling man and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Did you, Job, set the boundaries of the oceans of the earth? Were you there when the stars sang in glory together? Did you, Job, 
form mountains with your words? Translation, Job, are you God or am I? See, there's something about suffering that that twists things. And all of a sudden, we're the ones putting God in the hot seat as if he has to give an answer. God is good and God is God as long as things are good. But as soon as one thing happens, all of a sudden he's not God and he's not good. And we demand answers from God. And and so God answers Job and God answers us. And in chapter 38, for the next three chapters, God reminds us who he is. In ways that we never think about. This is chapter 39, verse 19. This is still God speaking to Job. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear, and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. God tells Job, listen, I'm God. You're not. Period. But even when God responds to Job, he's incredibly kind. That was just two or three verses about a horse. A horse. Something that you and I take for granted. Most of us. I don't have a clue about horses. I know they're beautiful. I like watching them. One of my favorite movies is about horses. But I don't think about a horse and its strength. I don't think about how a mane of a horse is is glory on its neck. see God does because he's God because he made the horse and he made us so why is it when you and I suffer we begin to question God why why do we flip the script just like Job said Job told his wife we receive good from God should we not also receive evil valid question There's tension in the story and in our story. One of the words used to describe God is omnipotent, which means God is all powerful. I mean, if, we, if he wanted to, he could just call down fire right now onto that sand volleyball court and we'd all be like, holy cow. <laughs> he can do anything. I mean, he breathes and the stars are put into the night sky and he calls them one by one and he has the potential to listen to billions of prayers at once. Incredibly powerful. Spoke. Let there be a giraffe. Boing. (laughs) There's a giraffe. It's not like God 
Mel ordered creation from Amazon Prime, you know, and went to Amazon.com and said, 993 uh, hippopotamuses delivered here. And in two days, they showed up. It literally, it literally, God is so powerful, he spoke, and it was there. It was just there. But there's this tension because God can do anything and God can do everything. But sometimes it looks like and it feels like God is not doing anything. And it's the sovereignty of God. See, our lives are one puzzle piece of a 10 billion piece puzzle. Everything that you know and believe to be true and understand about who you are and who God is, is one small puzzle piece. And so you're not going to understand everything. But we want to, right? When bad things happen, we start to question. And we demand an answer. And God is like, uh, baby girl, I've been putting together this billion piece puzzle since before you were here. I just need you to hang on. Let me be God. I got this. But there's tension. If God is good and he's a good father and he can do everything, why isn't he doing something? Something. And so when you and I experience suffering, we're either going to get stuck in that place or we're going to be like Job and say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I will praise him yet the same. last year of my life um, has been a journey and it's funny because I ran into one of you several months ago and I got a text later that day that said hey are you okay I said well yeah kind of and this friend of mine said well Tara don't forget what you tell all of us all the time you know what they were right I have wrestled with God more in the last year about areas of my life than I wanted to. But here's the hold up. It's me. Because I don't understand. And I have demanded that God give me an answer. And sometimes I don't like his answer. And sometimes I don't want to keep fighting. I don't want to keep believing. I don't want to keep trusting. I don't want to keep praying. I don't want to worship. I don't want to be in my word. Because life is sometimes difficult. And if you think that becoming an adult is going to make anything easier, it's not. You will never be able to outrun temptation. You will always be tempted by the stupid devil and his stupid sin until the day we go home to be with Jesus. And you have a choice to make in that moment. Either you will cave and fall into that temptation or you will choose to be accountable to friends that you trust. See, I'm not 
like Job at all. I'm pretty cynical. Here's some of the words I've used in the last year with God. Yeah, some God you are. Yep, you've got everything under control. Sure thing. What a joke. It's a scam. I've been punked. I've wasted my entire life. God, where were you when? Fill in the blank. God, what have you been doing? Have you fallen off your throne? Have you lost your mind? Have you grown deaf to my prayers? Do you not care about me and my little life? That's how my conversation with the Lord the last year has gone. I could say face, but for the sake of your souls and hearts, I'm going to be real. And you know where that's gotten me? Nowhere. Stuck. God doesn't owe me an answer for anything. God doesn't owe any of us an explanation because he is God. And the minute I start demanding answers and I start demanding an explanation, I'm saying I'm God. And you better own up, sir. It's audacious, isn't it? But surely I'm not the only one who's responded that way. Anyone else? Okay, there's seven of us. Our entire lives are a gift. We are not our own. We were created carefully. God didn't have to wake us up today, but he chose to do that. He didn't have to put breath in my lungs or wake me up in my right mind or give me two legs to walk on. He didn't have to give me food to eat today or clean water to drink, but he did. Shoes on our feet and shirts on our back. The incredible kindness and blessings of God all throughout our life, we are flooded with blessings. You and I are richer than 80% of the world. And you and I will never understand what it's like to take dirt and mix it with water and form it into the shape of a cookie and eat it just to put something in our bellies. You and I will never understand what it's like to sleep on the cold, hard ground and to not know our name, or not know our birthday, or not have the opportunity for an education, or not have access to clean water. You and I will never know true suffering. And on my worst days, I don't want to follow God. I just don't. I want to quit and I want to throw it all away. So I think of my brothers and sisters in the Middle East who live in areas that are infiltrated by ISIS and literally they invade your home. It's not even a knock on the door. They bust open the door and they yell at you and they intimidate you and they say, do you believe in Jesus? And you have a nanosecond to answer. 
And I can guarantee you this. If you're not willing to trust Jesus and to follow Jesus in the midst of your terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, you will not respond appropriately when there's a knife to the side of your neck. And if people respond yes, and you know what they do? They take them, and, and they take them captive, and they line them up. And they're, they're bound, their hands are bound, and they're on their knees. And, and one by one, they go through with a knife, and they literally cut the heads off. While you and I sit over here in America and question the sovereignty and goodness of God. Christians in North Korea are locked up. If people in China are caught having church or praying, they are locked up. But you and I sit in America and don't want to sing at camp tonight because, well, we got to fight with our best friend. And poor me. You and I will never know true suffering. I'm not minimizing what you've gone through. Hear me. I care deeply about the things that you've had to walk through in your life. But I'm just saying, big picture, big perspective, you have one of two responses in the midst of suffering. And you will never endure suffering if you refuse to allow God to be God. Period. Trust me. Hello. Last year of my life doesn't work. Don't do it the hard way like I do. You and, ever, you and I will never endure suffering if we don't allow God to be God. And in the midst of our tantrums and our questions and our wandering and our, our walking away and our coming back, in the midst of us cheating on God again and again, thinking that something else is going to satisfy Maybe your thing is sex or, or pornography or alcohol or drugs or getting high off paint or, or self-victimization uh, or, or making an idol uh, of you and your life and your accomplishments. Or, or maybe it's your best friend who's an idol or it's the makeup or it's the eating disorder or whatever the thing is. Whatever your thing is, it will never satisfy. It won't get you through a bad day. It will never answer the question of who is God. And that is what we have to get back to. When life is hard and the storms rage on and it doesn't make sense and it feel like God isn't hearing our prayers and we want to give up, this is where you and I have to land. Who is God? And you consider and remember who He is. God is my rock. God is my Redeemer. God is my Father. God is my friend. God is my Savior. God is my healer. Who is God? You and I will never endure suffering if we refuse to let God be God. 2 Timothy 2.3 says this, Endure suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. My hope and prayer for my life is 2 Timothy 3.7. I, I really want this to be true of my life, but if I don't change how I respond in the midst of difficulty, this will never be true for Tara. 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You're going to have hard days. There are going to be things in your life that don't make sense. There's going to be times that you feel like God isn't answering your prayers. There are going to be times that your dreams and hopes are just crushed. And in the midst of it all, here is where we have to win. Tara, who is God? Who is God? Because Jesus Christ is the same today as he was yesterday, that he will be tomorrow. That means that the same Jesus, who was a really, really big God when I was eight years old, and he and I were going to change the world, nothing about him has changed. I'm the one who's gone off course. We're going to pray and then uh, we're going to close out with a song. And I just want you to listen to the words of this song. God, I am sorry.